Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hey, everybody. Before I introduce the wonderful guest we have on today, I wanted to just remind you about two things. Please take time to go to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become a supporter of the show. We really need it. Uh, in order to be able to keep the show going. So if you get something from it, let us know and support it so that we can work together to keep it on the air. And if any of you are interested in being involved in the former cult member support group that I have, that is in Pacific time from 6 to 7.30 every other Wednesday night, or if you are in another part of the world, where you have a large enough group of people who would want to be involved in a support group, please let me know and I will get it started and set it up at a time that works for you wherever you are in the world. So you can contact me at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com or on my private email, bernsteinlmft at gmail.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So for today, we have Jitarth Jadea. He's a former QAnon follower and current moderator of the Reddit group QAnon Casualties. Residing in Sydney, Australia, Jitarth has been covered in many major news publications in the U.S. and beyond, providing important insights into the perplexing world of Q. Since leaving QAnon behind, Jitarth has become an invaluable resource not only to high-profile journalists, but also to families who have lost loved ones to QAnon. As you'll hear, his charming vulnerability and quick wit have helped him to shine a light on the shadows of QAnon and the conspiratorial right. And I want you to know that because I was speaking to him from California, and he's in Australia, He was actually recording this in what was the middle of the night for him. So for him to have so much energy and so much coherence and wisdom in the middle of the night, I give him so much credit. Thank you to Jatarth. Here he is now. Jatarth, I'm so excited to see you again. I met you when we did Matthew Remsky's show, Conspirituality, and it was a great discussion. And I really value your insights and also your unique perspective, of course, from your own life. And also now having talked to hundreds of thousands of people through your Reddit group who have also dealt with this, but seeing specifically what the draw was. And that that was very personal and often it is. And also what kind of helped draw you back out and how life has been since. So I know those are huge topics and we just have kind of a short time to go over them. But welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. Um, I'm very happy to be on. Yeah, I really liked the conversation. I thought uh, yourself and Matthew made some really illuminating points. And yeah, any anything um you want to talk about, I'm happy, I'm happy to talk about. 
Thank you. So then let people know if you can a little bit about what brings you to a show like this or even to Conspirituality and to the Reddit group, a little bit about your history. Obviously, I'm Australian. I have visited America a couple of times. I was in America on exchange in 2011, uh, 2012. So that's kind of how I got introduced to Reddit and whatnot. And I used to follow politics back in Australia. And then when I went back to Australia, I just naturally started following a bit of American politics. And long story short, I kind of um, fell into QAnon pretty bad, pretty hard. It started with Trump's election in 2016. That kind of preceded about a one-year fall into just conspiracy theories in general. And I was fairly, very far down the rabbit hole. And then that's the space I was in when I found out about Q. I started following Q properly would be about December, January 2017. So let's say January 2018. Let's say January 2018, just for simplicity. And I was a hardcore QAnon follower for about a year and a half. And I'm sure a lot of people would be wondering why, like how I had so much time. I was enrolled in university as well, but I was only going to about part-time, so one or two subjects a semester. I had... I have uh, ADHD, bipolar, and epilepsy. Only epilepsy had been diagnosed. I'll go into it a little bit more later. But yeah, I was in a QAnon for about a year and a half, very hard. And then I just came out one day in about June 2019. And I made a Reddit post, like about five five minutes after I got out, talking about, I was just telling these anti-Q subreddit that look, you guys were right, I was wrong. And I would just kind of poured my heart out a bit because it was just something that had just happened. And I got a very overwhelmingly, completely overwhelmingly positive response, which I was not expecting. I was not expecting that because to be honest, if the situation had been reversed, you wouldn't have got that from me at that time. A hundred percent. I would not have been anywhere near as gracious or as understanding. So that was really um, that was really a turning point because I felt like I'd reached my lowest low and people on Reddit sort of put me back together again and they were just anonymous people. So as time went on and Q got more and more popular, yes, there was a couple of QAnon, uh, QAnon subreddit called QAnon Casualties that came about and it was for people who had essentially lost their friends and family and people they knew to the QAnon cult. And I would try and help out and offer my perspective um, if, as and when necessary, as someone who used to believe in it, try and give whatever small advice I could. And then over the course, um, yeah, eventually, like after doing that for a while, I became a moderator of that subreddit. I remember when that subreddit was 400 people. I was probably a moderator when it was around 10,000, maybe. Yeah, now it's well, it's almost 200,000 people. Wow. It's quite incredible. Okay. You said so many things that I want to be able to already respond to. So when you were saying that people were very kind to you when you poured your heart out, when you had left and that you, I suppose, if you had still been involved, would not have been as gracious. That is what I'm dealing uh, with a lot with families who find that the loved one who they're trying to talk to is really um, not at all being patient with them, not understanding, not gracious in that way, not open. And so what would your response have been 
on the other side if you had still been involved and heard someone pouring their heart out the way you did? It would have been vile, to be honest. It would have, I would have probably, it would have been a big bag, a big helping of I told you so. Um, you know, I would have entirely blamed them for their mistake. I would have purely made it about the choices that they made and essentially used it as a cudgel to place myself at a higher sense of morality and take the moral high ground. And it essentially, I would have just done the same thing that I was using QAnon for the entire time, which is to hold myself up as superior, that I had this secret knowledge and I was smart enough to know this and blah, blah, blah. And it's not just about ego, for example. Everyone has an ego, right? The people who really fall for it are completely disenfranchised with where they are in life. There is a vast disconnect between their position in the social hierarchy or whatever you want to call it in comparison to how they view that they their potential to be. And because of that, the ego has taken quite a battering and been broken down almost ground to a pulp by the time they come across QAnon. And when they are given a reason to inflate that ego. It's like an addiction. It's like a drug. It's it's like a starving man getting all the food that he wants and becoming obese and then dying of like, you know, a heart attack. It's just, they, they can't stop. So that's, that's what I would have done. And I imagine that's exactly what these cultists are doing themselves because they need catharsis. From their perspective, they've been like maligned and, you know, being punished for their beliefs and this, and they're honest to God speaking the truth and trying to help people and blah, 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 blah. They need catharsis and they have to be right so bad because if they are wrong, it is a complete inverse. It's not like, oh, look, you you were wrong about this thing. You said it was going to be, it was 23 degrees. It turned out to be like 21. It was partly cloudy instead of sunny. No, 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 no. This is like saying the world is going to end tomorrow. And then instead of that happening, like Jesus comes down from heaven and we have the second coming. Like it's the complete inverse, the complete flip of that. Right. Okay. So fascinating to me. And it's interesting because sometimes when I'm working with people, I can see their families are wanting to kind of get them on the conflictual information and the belief system or the the latest missive that's come out. And for some, that is what it's about. It's about the content. And for others, it seems when they get flustered in those moments and almost frustrated because that's not even why they're involved and they don't want to have to be held up to the latest article or social media post or whatever, because they kind of don't care about that as much. And they don't want to have to defend it because they might not even understand it themselves. They're really doing it so they can feel a part of something, feel superior, or just compensate for insecurity, deal with anxiety. You know, it's for all these other reasons. So I'm wondering, and I know that you, you know, it's not like you've talked to everyone who has been involved in QAnon, although you've probably talked to more people than others have. What do you think it is for a lot of people? Do you think it's the ideology or do you think it's something psychological that's driving that need? It's definitely psychological. I mean, as with any kind of mass social movement, it's there's always an element of psychology involved, right? Whether it's, you know, an advertising brand or whether it's like, you know, a cult. I think that there is a deep psychological need that, say, for lack of a better word, that cults fill the need for connection, the need for meaning, the need for purpose. And I think that's kind of been fused 
with this whole new age era of, say, social media, culture wars and blah, 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 you know, whatnot, conspiracies, fake news, etc. But I think more than anything, it's just that, see, the thing that really drew me to QAnon was that, look, there are a million conspiracies out there. And QAnon, most of it is not, there's nothing new about it. Overwhelming majority of it is nothing new about it. Q's ripped off just a bunch of existing ideas and sort of coalesced them into one. And now people sort of just project their own meaning onto whatever they say, he says, or had said. But the point I'm saying is that there is one difference. And the difference between this conspiracy theory and pretty much anything, any other conspiracy theory that I've found is that this is about the good guys. Past conspiracy theories, it's always about the Illuminati or the Knights Templar or the New World Order or the like, you know, the reptilian, blah, blah, blah. It's always about bad guys are doing something bad for some bad reason. Any conspiracy theory, whether it's like, oh, my neighbor's secretly putting rubbish in my bin or whether it's like, you know, oh, they're trying to depopulate the earth or blah, blah, blah. This, it's always about the bad guys. And QAnon is about the good guys. It's about the good guys who have come in to save the day. And that was what drew me in because I was pondering, uh, just before I found QAnon, I was posing a question to myself is that where are the good guys here? Where are, everyone's always talking about the bad guys. If I know about this, lots of people know about this. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't anyone else know about this? What are the good guys doing? It's almost like an optimistic on its face conspiracy theory that Trump is in control and the good guys are military intelligence is going to take down this evil satanic cabal and blah, blah, blah. Post some ridiculous fascist military coup, somehow these members of the cabal will be publicly executed and we'll have a huge revolution and everything will be perfect straight after because that's always what happens after any revolution. Everything's great, right? Um, nothing ever happens. There's no chaos or, you know, political unrest. But that's the thing. It's very optimistic in that regard. Yeah, and I think that that is um, beautifully said to talk about the appeal that we do need things that are positive. Having kids who are now high school and college age, sometimes hard for them to have a world that they look forward to living in. And it's a very real issue, a weight on their shoulders. And also um, a distrust then of the people who came before them because we left this mess for them. And so I think certainly that plays a part here too. Yeah, I mean, I think, there is a lot of anti-previous generation sentiment. I mean, I understand it, but I don't agree with it. I mean, it's not like anyone had a crystal ball. It's not, I mean, why would, I think every generation does what they can. Things get bad, things get good. I mean, quite frankly, like look at a hundred years ago between, we had a couple of world wars, a great depression, you know, with the cold war, like nuclear holocaust, like, come on, man, every generation faces its challenges. I don't think it's just any worse. I don't think there's fault that should be pointed at someone or some segment of society. Okay, so I want to be able to talk more so people really understand some of the philosophies of QAnon. Um, before that, though, I was very touched by hearing you tell during this other interview we did together about what drew you in. And it seemed like it was about your connection with your father. For a lot of people, there are these unexpected reasons that are actually very pure and very real and relatable that, you know, you want to do things that connect you with a parent or to have a parent 
kind of turn around and notice you because you're saying the same sorts of things or respect you because you now feel the same way. You know, there, there are a lot of motivators. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about that. So just, I guess, a bit of a background. So me and my dad have nothing in common. We are not alike at all. He's a very calm, reserved, polite man. And I, my sister and my dad are very much alike. And me and my mom are very much alike. And so my entire life, like my dad, had, I, we never really got along. He did a law degree. He did electrical engineering degree, did an MBA. And yet at the same time, I've never met anyone who thought education was more useless than him. Um, he worked as a strategist for like for the government for essentially like 20, 30 years, same job. Never met anyone who hates the government more than he does. By coincidence, we just happen to both like discussing, say, like economics and politics and world events. Now, long story short, I just graduated from university like last year. After 15 years, went three different universities. So I, I had all these undiagnosed issues of bipolar 2 and ADHD. So I was never the, the standard go to university, get a law degree, get a doctor uh, medicine degree, right? Work in accounting, work in one of the big four, blah, blah, blah. So my dad and I never really, he never really had a reason to be proud of me, put it that way. And when I found out about QAnon, I would tell everyone about it. And no, no one would give me the time of day. No one wanted to hear it. No one really, let alone Australian politics. No one wants to talk about American politics um, in Australia. And the only person who listened was my dad. And he and I would talk for hours about it, hours and hours and hours. And he he was not a conspiracy theorist. I'd say he's more of a contrarian. But just by explaining these things to him and talking about these issues, you know, from whether it's like NATO or whether it's like, you know, central banking or whatnot, not that these are conspiracies, but just the, these are the kind of like um, introductory subjects that we got hooked on. He started to look at me differently. And because this was something that I knew about more than him. I knew more about this concept or topic than he did. And he would look to me for information. And I never got that before. And I really liked, I liked it. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was something I would, I wanted or needed or even, like, I had identified as an aspect in my life. But it was. And I would go looking for things to talk to him about and dig through conspiracy stuff to talk to him about. And I got, and because of that, I got him into QAnon. And he's still into QAnon to this day, to this day. And he's still in it. And we still argue about it. We, it's got to a stage where it used to be pretty bad before. Now it's fine. I would say we have a very like cordial, warm relationship. But, you know, the one thing we can't do is we can't talk about politics or economics anymore because it gets way too heated. And that's not just him. It's from me as well. It's kind of like now the situation is a bit like I'm South Korea, he's North Korea, you know, QAnon and politics are like DMZ and my mom and my sister are like the UN and the US. So as far as family issues or issues caused by QAnon, this is probably like the most minor thing that I have seen that my dad and I can't talk about politics anymore. Like, yeah, whatever, who cares? But yeah, in terms of just the widespread damage that it's caused it's it's nothing like i've seen um like families ripped apart people committing suicide friends marriages of decades just it's insane 
Right. I was going to ask, you know, with the people who have contacted you and also with some of the people on Reddit, I'm sure there's just a, a lot of heartbreak and so many tragic stories. And are you noticing anything demographically? Is it uh, people of a certain age being affected? I'm very curious because now I'm actually getting more calls from kids who are saying my mother or my father keep talking about saving the children, but they're going and lunging after my principal and uh, at the school board meeting. And I can't face any of my friends and I'm afraid to go to school while they're busy trying to save the children. Last few months, it has been kids. A big issue is that children are not being allowed to get vaccines because their parents oppose it. I think last time I checked, which was about a week ago, the top pinned post on the subreddit was specifically about helping teens get vaccinated without parental permission. And that has been like that for a long time. Um, it was just a link to vaxteen.com. And this is the thing. So we do see majority of family members who are people who've lost uh, friends and family to QAnon are generally, say, the older demographic, um, the more Caucasian demographic, the more religious demographic. But it's a biased sample because Reddit skews young and left and metropolitan. So naturally, the people who are more predisposed to being in QAnon are the people who are related to these people, which is older, non-metropolitan, whatnot. In general, I have not seen any particular trend in who follows QAnon and who doesn't. I have seen, it depends on the platform. There's lots of people who follow QAnon on TikTok who are young, you know, ethnically diverse, like educated metropolitan kids. I have seen older white male types on, say, uh, Vote, for example, or on 8chan itself which skews a little bit more along those like neo-Nazi lines um, and racist terms. So it really depends on the platform. But yeah, on Reddit, I've seen a lot of, it seems to be the older generation that is at the moment coming through the most as QAnon followers. Incredible. So I'm curious also about this trend that I see where so often when you have these conspiracy theories, they start to turn into, you know, the anti-Semitic messages and the anti-immigrant messages and the anti-Black and brown people messages. And so, you know, flat earthers also, you know, have sort of moved into that realm to, to a certain degree and other movements do too. What do you think that's about that here it starts with this different message, but winds up kind of devolving into the same kinds of stereotypic hatred that we see over and over again? Essentially, it's just because QAnon is just, it represents different things to different people. And I know, I know that's probably not a very useful um, turd, like, uh, statement because, like, what does that mean? But what that means is that essentially you will find QAnon people who are racist and anti-Semites and you'll find them who are not. And they're the opposite. I, like, I was never an anti-Semite, for example. I won't talk about, oh, I was never racist because people get angry and start talking about internalized racism. But let's just say hypothetically, I was never an anti-Semite. Like I'm Indian, I'm like, I'm Hindu. India is one of the only oldest civilizations in the world, which has never had an issue with Jews ever. That's why India and Israel have really good relations. But I've seen transgender pro-LGBTQ plus QAnon followers. I have seen 
feminist QAnon followers. It's it, you, We can look at a particular group or segment that's highlighted, say, for example, I don't know, the Proud Boys, right? Um, and conflate them with QAnon and the alt-right and the Boogaloo Boys or whatnot. But these groups, are they are distinct. And it can be fine for like uh, just a normal conversation to lump these groups together because the differences are very subtle and, and they're not overt. But yeah, I, I see QAnon, just back to your question, is, is, it's a vehicle for a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of hate. It's become entangled in this culture war, political ideology sort of just mess. This society that we now have where it's like a reflection. Like we, people have more impact on society on a macro level than they ever had before, say due to the advent of social media. Something, something that occurs on social media and spreads will end up having real world consequences. And then it will, it's a feedback loop that will feed back into itself and just keep going and going and going. I see this and I see QAnon as just a vehicle for people to express their frustrations and anger, most of all, like just absolute anger, seething, writhing, raging hatred at whoever it is, whether it's Jewish people, whether it's black people, whether it's brown people, whether it's transgender people, whether it's Democrats, whether it's the elite, which is a very nebulous term. Like, what does that mean? Who are these people? What are the address? Well, like, what are, what are the names? the political elite, the Hollywood, or whether it's, you know, um, the World Bank or the cabal, right? You know, the secret satanic cabal. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's almost like you just have to hate someone. All the problems in the world are just someone else's fault and this, and a very specific group of people who we can nail to the wall. Right. I find it so interesting and unnerving at times also where people who have extreme beliefs look like everyone else. So, and I was one time doing an intervention to help a family whose daughter had gotten into a bad situation with this psychic network in any event. During a break, the father, who's a businessman, looks very kind of mainstream. He said, would you mind if we spend a few moments and I could ask you a couple of questions? And he he and I were just talking about how his daughter tends to get swept up into certain belief systems without questioning their veracity and and it gets caught up into into movements and ones that have extreme views and also with this kind of echo chamber of uh, information. So it's in this sealed kind of way where you can only get information from people who think that way. And he said, I, I would like to be able to speak to you and to speak to the, the person who is also helping me, who's African-American, to ask you why the Jews... I was thinking, oh no, <laughs> just with that intro. Yeah, here um, we go. Right, <laughs> exactly. I thought, oh, don't yeah. even... Don't even finish uh, the question. Like, you can just leave him alone, man. It's been 2,000 years. Just give right. him a break. Right. And also, I now, right, I'm a representative of all the Jewish people of all time. Thank you. But uh, why the Jews created the Holocaust, he actually said to me, and why Black people started the slave trade. And I thought, what? Was he being serious? Like, he wasn't being unironic. Or, or was he saying, I, I, this is what I've heard. Can you explain it to me? He had brought a bunch of books from the Elders of Zion to all these other books that I hadn't heard of. And he wanted to go over some passages with me and with the per other person who uh, was helping his family. 
And the irony, of course, is he's wanting help with his daughter who gets caught up in certain ways of thinking. He didn't see his own kind of way. And I thought, what? And you would never know because it's not like he's doing this sort of torch and pitchfork kind of marching down the street. He has a briefcase and he's wearing a suit. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I think the idea that these are ideas. Ideas can exist in anyone's head, right? This is often the issue when you have someone trying to talk to QAnon, a QAnon follower. Let's look at Russiagate, for example. For years, that was built up. And we had the Mueller investigation. Maybe there was obstruction of just whatever. But the, he came out and he's like, there's no collusion. There's, there's no collusion. People still believe that. Or people, or people believe that the that Mueller wasn't given big enough score, but whatever. The answer, their only answer is a larger conspiracy. So when you've got, say, a QAnon follower who's still taught, who's trying to get told something by someone who believes that Donald Trump was a secret Russian agent, for example, or any other, it doesn't matter. Like who cares, right? Conspiracy, conspiracy. Um, they're often just talking. They're talking past each other because. Neither of them can empathize or sympathize with why the other person thinks what they think. I mean, I can understand why someone would believe in Russia again. Look at what, what do you mean? I would probably believe in it too if I didn't just happen to be on the other side just by pure coincidence and was actively looking for ways not to believe. So there's no meeting in the middle ground. It's like you said, in order to talk to a QAnon follower, you must first have self-awareness to examine your own biases or your own beliefs and ideologies and how it could be wrong. And you really have to go to them without the idea that they are 100% wrong on everything because they won't be. How could they be? That's, that's impossible for someone to be 100% wrong, right? Even if they're 1% right, they have to be 1% right. And to beat them on a middle level playing field and the QAnon followers, their behavior makes that even more difficult because as I think you alluded to earlier, they're you know, they're agitated, they're angry, they're irritable, they're, they're superior. They're exactly the kind of person you do not want to talk to or go out of your way to do anything for because they are so infuriating. And I know this because, like I said, my dad is a QAnon follower and I speak to him every day. Um, so it really requires a level of self-awareness and emotional awareness that forget being beyond most people. It's, it's not reasonable to expect it to not to be within the grasp of people that's just what i think i don't think it's a fair thing to ask people to be able to talk to someone who's in this kind of situation right i i love your phrase about people are talking past each other and yes you know i having nothing to do with anything except that it's also an irony i was at the dentist the other day and while he he, he knows what i do so he, he with his hands in my mouth classic dentist he said um what what's going on why why are people fighting and why can't they sit down to at the table and now that people are vaccinated they don't want to spend time with each other <laughs> right and so when he removed his hands from my mouth, I said, we right now we're living in the age of not being able to agree to disagree. And I think there are some things that we just cannot agree to disagree on, that things are absolutely bad and wrong. But with the other things in the middle, why can't we? Why can't we agree to disagree? It's everything because the stakes are so high in everyone's mind, especially QAnon mind. I mean, the stakes in QAnon mind could not be higher. 
Like it's literally the future of humanity that's at stake. The Western civilization, the earth, not just on a, a physical level, but on a metaphysical religious level, it's their souls, their children's souls are at stake. You could not make this up. It, it really should exist only as a parody, but it's real, unfortunately. I think the same thing happens almost on any side, really. Like the stakes always just seem so high. Trump has to lose this election because if he wins, the Nazis are taking over. And that kind of thing really ignores how the American electoral system works, what the last couple of presidents have been able to achieve, which is nothing really. Yeah, everyone's so hyper. Like everyone's so just extreme. Right. I mean, I think also just in the lexicon around it, talking about the storm. I mean, that gives you kind of a visual, a CGI visual in a movie, you know, the storm coming. What did the storm mean to you? The storm is a very specific thing. So QAnon really started with Trump at a pros at, a, at the White House. He's got all these generals and whatnot in front of him. There's some journalists and they're taking some photos. And he's just talking to the journalists and he's like, do you guys know what, what this is? And one of the journalists is like, oh, well, what is it, Mr. President? And he's like, oh, well, maybe it's the calm before the storm. And then someone asked him, like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, you'll see. And like, that, that was it. And it was like a classic Trump sort of vague, like, hint. Like, thank you for asking me this question that I asked you to ask. That's how the terminology or the phraseology originated. And it's, it's the only thing that unites QAnon followers. So you will see QAnon followers who believe in everything from aliens to angels to demons to whatever robots it, do, it doesn't matter uh, you will see them all at different levels whether it's the election was rigged um, which is a little bit more mainstream even though it's just crazy whether it's uh, like vaccines and secret microchips and whatnot but the only thing that they have in common the one thing that unites them all the flat earthers and whatnot is the concept of the storm and the storm is specifically the unsealing of sealed indictments, declaration of martial law, military tribunals for civilians who are members of this cabal, like, say, I don't know, Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama, the Pope, the Queen, whatever, Tom Hanks, followed by their public executions. And then legitimately, and then after that, it's um, sunshine, raisies, and, you know, butter mellow. That is what the storm is. That is all the storm has ever been, that's all the storm. When I say all, I mean, like, there's no added thing that says the Republicans must win the, you know, by-elections or the the, or the, um, the midterms or whatnot. No, no, no. This is specifically what it is. Yeah, that's the most scary aspect, like you said, because it involves martial law. These people are wanting martial law. They want it. They're praying for it they can't wait i know because i was doing the same thing it would have been the happiest day of my life if i saw hillary clinton get dragged out in front of a town of a public square in times square and get like hung in public i would have cheered like it like like it was some kind of great celebration of peace or something like nelson mandela being freed and that that's so twisted it just, it bothers me to this day. It still bothers me because it's like, I was under no, I, I don't know, how, why could I be happy about something like this? But I was because for me, the stakes were so high, but it doesn't really matter, I guess, at the end of the day, because it's all about the ends justifying the means and the road to hell is obviously paved with good intentions. 
Wow. Fascinating. Also, as you, as you're telling that story and you're thinking that was me, right? I mean, what got you caught up in such fervor and also into this mode of thinking about kind of human sacrifice for a cause, you know, it's very primal. This is how genocides happen. I hate to use the Nazis, so I won't use them, but let's look at, say, the Russian Revolution, the people who killed the royal family. It's not like they were thought that they were doing something bad. It's not like Pol Pot thought he was doing something bad. It's not like any, you know, Idi Amin thought they were, not like, none of them thought they were doing something bad. You can say they were sociopaths, but sociopaths make up a very small percentage of the population. Not only that, they're very, you really wouldn't know if someone's a sociopath unless they told you or you observed them very closely. They're very good. They're very good. And most, more often than not, you'll think of them very highly. More than anything, it's good people do evil things. And the more sure you are in your cause being just, and it's the more evil you will do. And that's what I realized, at least for me, that I had to be, from then on, I had to be, 100% unsure about everything that I thought was correct for the rest of my life, even though that's probably still the wrong thing to do. But at, at, either way, I could never be, like I finally understood what it meant to, for the ends to not justify the means. And the weird, the scary thing was that I, this isn't a new thing. I knew that then. I had those two contradictory thoughts in my head that ends don't justify the means and that a martial law military takeover and almost human sacrifice of these cabal members was necessary. I had these two conflicting thoughts in my head without any issue whatsoever. I, I didn't even put this together until it was like a year after I did my first interview. It was not like it was recent. It was, it was ages, years later. And that was... I guess that was just cognitive dissonance, I suppose. But that's how powerful it is. You don't even know. You can't see something that you can't see. Right, right. And you can't see something you don't want to see because then it might make you have to question what you're involved in and, and you not, might not be ready to do that. If you don't, A, you don't want to see something and B, you can't see something, the chances of you seeing that is it's just not, it's not going to happen. It's not. Right. It's not gonna, even if you want to see it, it's still hard to see. <laughs> right. Okay. So, wow. All right. So two more questions I have for you before we finish up and then you can tell people where to find all that you're, all the wonderful things you're doing. What prompted you to leave? And then also you had mentioned at the beginning about ADHD, bipolar and epilepsy, and that you wanted to be able to come back to that. So I made a note of that. Oh uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess this was, a, that's actually a good question. Cause that kind of comes down to what got me to leave. So um, I had been diagnosed, I've been diagnosed with epilepsy my whole life, pretty much. Um, so that's medicated. So that that's fine. I only got diagnosed with ADHD in about a month after Trump got elected. So that was kind of, it was very traumatic for me because I think I was about 28 and my whole life I had assumed that these, you know, I wasn't able to do these things because of character flaws. I was lazy or didn't have enough motivation or whatnot. There was no way to explain to people that there was there's a disconnect between me wanting to do something and me being able to do something for almost anyone else the more you if you really want to do something you'll do it but with ADHD in my case 
that that actually is irrelevant if I really want to do something. So no, I just want to be able to do it. So that was pretty traumatic for me. I feel a lot of Huron people I've spoken to or or like just heard stories about, there always seems to be some kind of preceding traumatic event that precedes their downfall into the conspiracy rabbit hole. Either like they lost their job or someone passed away or a relationship broke up. For me, it was being diagnosed with ADHD and having to deal with all these internalized symptoms, which I had internalized as character flaws. And even coronavirus, I think, to an extent or to a large extent. I mean, QAnon really took off with coronavirus. And it wasn't just that people at home on their phones more often, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, okay, but people on their phones like all day. I think people forget that during the early period, it was it was very traumatic for people. Like this virus, no one knew where it had come from. It had come out overnight. The countries were shutting down their borders. They were shutting down economy. Like, and no, and we didn't know anything about it. It was traumatic. And so that processing the trauma really it helped put me in a better headspace. And that took a lot of time. But also I would got diagnosed with bipolar two about it's funny, it's almost about a month before I really sort of fell out of QAnon. And I wouldn't say these are causal factors. They did correlate in my situation, but they're not causal and they can correlate, but they're not, it's not the same for everyone at all. So it was kind of like an improvement in my mental health, a reduction in my isolation, in my sort of social isolation, um, because while this was going on, I really wasn't speaking to anyone except my dad about QAnon. And more than that, it was just like Q was just wrong all the time. It was just wrong all the time, all the time, constantly. And it really drove me up the wall when people refused to even acknowledge it. And the thing that got me out, so it, it was about a six-month process. The first thing, and I'll try to be succinct, but it's like there's just so much to say. The thing that got me out mainly was that the biggest Q proof in inverted commas that I had was this concept of. Someone had asked Q to get Trump to say the phrase tip top, tippy top shape as kind of a proof of the connection between Q and Trump. Now, about four months after someone had asked Q to say that on, on the HM boards, Trump in front of the White House, he uses that exact phrase to describe the White House during an Easter egg hunt. He, he's talking about the White House and he says, you know, we love the old girl. We keep her in tip top shape. We call it tippy top shape. And then Q brings it up and he's like, it was requested. So everyone's like, that's proof. That's obvious proof. It wasn't until when I was just teetering on the edge, I found this video with like a thousand views that not only showed that Trump had said that phrase before, and that was just something that Trump said, but B, that the person who requested Q say this was actually the same person who noticed Q say this which is a little suspicious on a very like anonymous HM board, right? That just happens to be the same person. But then it was requested the night before the State of the Union, which means there was a chance he could have said it then. And then it hit me because I've also had the pleasure, I guess, of knowing a few sociopaths, really good ones for about 10, 20 years. And this is exactly the kind of manipulation that they use, that someone had to observe Trump very closely to pick up on the fact that he said this specific phrase just a couple of times a year. It's not like he said it all the time. Then use that information to make a prediction in inverted commas, knowing eventually Trump would use that phrase. Just the manipulation tactic. It wasn't even what happened. I could have looked past that, but it was the manipulation tactic that made me 
like just shut out. And I was just like, if I have been manipulated like this, in this way, then I have been manipulated in ways I have no idea about. So that was kind of the end point where I just sort of got all the stuff that I'd learned from the conspiracy hole and just took it out of my head and chucked it in the bin. Because I, I hate being manipulated, especially by sociopaths in that regard. And that is not, that, that was the one thing that really got me out. Oh, that's so powerful. Um, and, you know, the just right. Knowing that you have had your mind played with and also your trust that it had shifted your life in such significant ways and had taken over your life and had so much time and changed your persona and kind of your moral code even. I mean, it had such an influence over you only to find out that you were kind of, um, you know, a puppet on a string. It's it's very, very powerful. It can produce a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. It's not a happy moment. Uh, but it's a very important watershed. It is. And especially when you think you're going in the exact opposite direction. Right. And I think to go back to what you were saying, too, just as we finish up about being diagnosed. Being diagnosed was able, and I just, just got on medication, which sort of just put me, my brain in just a more, I guess, a clearer headspace. I was just able to rationally just think a little bit more logically and more importantly than that, it kind of allowed me to ignore QAnon while all of, like, I was like, I don't know what's going on, so I'll just ignore it for a while and come back to it later. And that kind of probably set me on a path to sort of being dissatisfied and then questioning it. And then just being in the right frame of mind to see the bullshit for what it was. I mean, I think also, you know, when you get a diagnosis too, what can help is that you no longer have to accept the very unfortunate criticisms that people are given, like being lazy or stupid or, and now you have something and you can say, I have this and it's not my fault. And it's not a character flaw. Exactly. I am trying. Everyone's saying, you're not trying. It's like, I have been trying. And it does also create a lot of bitterness and like cynicism and whatnot. And it's just the first step, but it's, it's very, it's, it's cathartic, really. It was a relief. It is. It's so important. I mean, I think what's hard about these sorts of things is uh, with these diagnoses, they're invisible. I mean, if you have someone who's in a wheelchair at the bottom of a flight of stairs, then you can understand why they're not going up the stairs. But if they're just standing there, but still not able to move their body or organize their their nervous system, whatever it is, but it's invisible, then there's somehow some blame. I wonder also if that tied in with the need for superiority, kind of overcompensation. That's actually a really good point. 100%. That is correct. That definitely did. That, it allowed me to let go of my need for QAnon as a tool of self-validation. The 100%, you're completely right. And it allowed me to, because I wasn't such a crutch anymore, I was able to sort of just leave, wean myself off it, I guess. It was a big relief getting, especially ADHD, getting diagnosed. And then bipolar, because I was like, oh, well, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. How come I'm still not, I'm still not fine? And it was just such a mental weight of my mind that it really wasn't my fault that I was just like I was I didn't know how could it be my fault if I don't know I had these issues how could it possibly be my fault you can make the argument that if someone doesn't go on medication and go to the doctor and after finding out blah 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 but whatever like like who cares but it was cleansing almost 
and like allowed me to sort of restart from scratch. Amazing. I want to thank you so much for your time today and um, all the work that you're doing. Where can people find out about the Reddit group? And also you were talking about vaccine.com. Just let people know. I mean, I'm not affiliated with Vaxteen, but Vaxteen.org is a website that helps um, teenagers in America find like ways to get vaccinated that are legal. By the way, I should add that, depending on their state and whatnot. And yeah, there's QAnon Casualties subreddit. You can just Google QAnon Casualties. It's still growing. We're still like, we're always there for in case anyone needs any help. Even just reading. I think just knowing that you're not alone is a big thing is a big thing because it's such an obscure, weird, strange thing to have to deal with. And while it's not as obscure these days, it's still it's still kind it's still really odd. Um explaining to a normal person who has no inter in like interaction with any kind of QAnon thing at all, apart from say New York Times or whatever. It's like the change in behavior in your family or your friend and whatnot and how it's damaged your relationship. Right. Okay. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And be well. And if there's anything else that you want to be able to talk about or share, feel free to come back on. You're wonderful. It's always a joy. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing this kind of show, Rachel. I think it really makes a difference. It really does make a difference. And your listeners, yourself, even the smallest pebble can cause an avalanche. And if QAnon is a proof that a few people can do something or make a big change that I don't know what is. One more thing before you go. It is always a pleasure to speak with Jitarth. I had a wonderful opportunity to speak with him on another podcast called Conspirituality. And he is somebody who just expresses himself so well, so clearly, and from the heart. And I love that he is at this place in his life where he can conceptualize what happened and how he got involved and what was meaningful to him about his involvement. You know, I hear from so many people that they got involved in organizations because they cared about it theologically, they cared about it philosophically, they cared about it politically. But other times, similarly to Jitarth, who got involved because it brought him more closeness with his father, and then they had a point of connection, or actually points of connection, where they could sit and talk and confer and agree and see eye to eye, which always feels very good to be able to do with a parent and with a child. And other people got involved with the Hare Krishnas because they liked their Sunday night vegetarian dinners and other people got involved because the person they were dating got them involved. Sometimes it's for these other reasons. But either way, at the end of the day, what you get is a connection to something that feels greater than you and a connection to a community, a connection to an idea and to an ideal. What is true also about these situations, though, is that there is something so toxic about the influence of some of these organizations because they drive people's kind of id influences, the drives, the primal drives that people have to fight, to have aggression, 
to get angry and very easily to have a very quick and really overly exaggerated trigger switch. What I think is also interesting is to hear Jatarth say that he would not have been gracious towards people who had left when he was still very much in it. And by that, he means he would have looked down on them or he would have insulted them. He would have thought less of them or maybe thought of them as sort of hopeless. And that is very often how people are treated when they leave organizations that are unhealthy. Sometimes, as we've talked about here on the show, you can tell about the health of an organization when you leave it. You can tell about the health of a partner when you decide to leave. Does that person come after you? Does that person need to defame you and need to relegate you to being some lesser being in their eyes or in other people's eyes? Do they need to attack you because in some ways you are not really at liberty to make that decision. You are making the wrong decision. You are actually showing some sort of weakness by leaving. What we know, though, is that when people are so enveloped in a community that is so intense and that gives them this sense of connection and purpose, it isn't a weakness when you leave it. It actually takes an inordinate amount of strength and an inordinate amount of bravery. And so when people say to you, if you leave this, you'll be showing us how weak you are or how unable to handle this you are or that you somehow betrayed us by leaving. If they just won't let you go without kind of needing to kick you, then you'll have a, I think, hopefully a clearer sign in that moment that it was really right for you to go. Because these are people who don't really respect you for you. If they did, it wouldn't matter if you agreed with them or not and if you believed exactly the way they believed. What happens so often, though, with some of these interchanges is that they immediately get personally insulting. That is always unnecessary in an argument. And in fact, you know, as the saying goes, when the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the loser. And we don't mean loser like we're calling these people's losers, but what we're saying is, if someone feels that they don't have power over you anymore, or they can't convince you that they're right, or that their belief system is right for you, they'll often turn to personal attacks. When someone does the, oh yeah, well, you're stupid, or because you're ugly, then you know that they really are feeling this lack of power in that moment that is very uncomfortable for them. And because you've made them feel uncomfortable, even though that was not at all your goal, they're going to make you feel uncomfortable like a counterattack for something that they imagined happened. That <laughs> They imagine you attacked them personally by leaving, so they're going to attack you back. If someone also starts to make personal insults, and starts to tell you that you are now part of the sheep, that you now are showing your ignorance, that something terrible is going to happen to you if you leave. What they are saying is this 
makes me really uncomfortable. And I have been trained to see you as now less than, i.e., we are no longer equals. I don't have to pay attention to you and your views anymore because I can look down on you. That's not the sign of maturity. And that's not the sign of civility, of the ability to feel confident enough in that moment to let that someone else just be someone else who doesn't have to agree with you. It is so interesting as we talk about signs of strength and weakness that so often when people leave cultic groups, again, or they they leave something that was very intense because they could tell that it was actually unhealthy, it was sort of driving them into the ground, that they're called weak, they're called failures. But have you ever had the experience of arguing with somebody and they suddenly stop and say, you know what, actually, you might have a point or I could see why you think that. So maybe I still believe a little bit about what I believe and maybe I can also see your perspective or maybe you're right about the sources of my information. Maybe they aren't good sources. You know what? I'll look into that and I'll find out. And when that happens, that somebody suddenly is stepping away from just being in the argument and they're really thinking about what you said, it doesn't mean at the end of the day that they actually might agree with you. It could be that after thinking it through, they still have the same position, but they kind of took in what you said. You're not going to see them as weak. In fact, most people who do that are seen as very confident and strong. It's impressive. It's impressive when somebody who is raring to go and they have all their points and they've thrown them all at you, when you counter with your points and then they say, hmm, oh, yeah, maybe. In that moment, usually there's a rush of respect where you think, wow, that person had enough confidence to not have to be full of bluster, to not have to immediately be planning their response instead of really listening to you, that that person could actually take in what you said. So remember that the next time you get into an argument, if you happen to be that person who is the, oh, yeah, and what about this? And you, you know, you need to learn about this and you're wrong about this and you're wrong about that. You are not coming across as mature. You're not coming across with strength. You're not coming across with confidence. You're coming across with what looks like an overcompensation for insecurity. And what I've also noticed is that the louder people get, the fewer facts they have. Now, that's not necessarily an exact formula in every situation, but I think volume makes up for material. So if I know that I have facts and they've been tried and true, I can state them like this with kind of a plain voice, a mellow voice. I'm not even going to get upset because I just have the sense of knowing. Yep, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the thing I think or the thing I know happens to be true. 
Now, I'm not going to feel that way about everything, but if I do, I'm going to be able to be cool about it because I just have this sense of knowing. But if I'm suddenly in a situation where I'm worried about being taken seriously or I feel like I haven't been taken seriously before and I'm worried about being seen as a fool or I have other people who I am now connected to who are watching me and listening as I engage in a fight with someone and I have to prove something to them. If someone makes a point and I don't have enough information to counter it, I might then go to the two other choices, getting loud and getting personal. So I say that for you all to know who are on the receiving end of it. When someone gets loud with you usually and gets personal usually, when the content has nothing to do with anything personal, it's because they don't have enough information to counter what you're saying and they know it. So then what you can do is you can just let them feel like they've won and seem kind of unmoved by it and say, okay, that actually gets people's attention. There's an example that I've talked about a little bit before in the podcast of a string of matches. It's something that was posted on the internet. If anyone knows who posted it originally, please let me know. It's a string of matches. A middle one is pulled out of place, kind of pulled lower than the other ones. The first match is lit on fire and the fire travels across a few matches and stops. And then it stops where the other match has been pulled down. So there's nothing that is going to connect one match to the next. So nothing ignites. And then all the other matches after the one that's been pulled out of place are not catching on fire. They stay perfectly unharmed. Be that match that pulls yourself away, that lets yourself not get ignited and drawn in and baited and stays cool and ends the fight and ends the fire. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore Indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.